honestly saying no saved my life because it was getting to a stage where you know with all this negativity surrounding this situation it led me to a stage where I didn't want to be here anymore and it wasn't a case of like and I've said this a few times but like not a case of like not wanting to be here at all but it was just I didn't want to continue living my life the way it was being lived so by me taking that kind of power back and be like no this isn't what I want I deserve more it, it saved my life so then when it kind of got to a stage where like there was a few like thoughts and stuff that I thought oh okay maybe maybe I am attracted to the opposite sex no the same sex sorry. so I'm still learning this <laughs> I think from going through what I did with my mom and the pandemic it really taught me the value of time hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters May 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My guest today is Taylor James, host of the award-winning, chart-topping mental health podcast, The Waffle Shop Podcast. Taylor very graciously had me as a guest on his show recently, and I wanted to return the favour because I was really interested to hear how he has navigated life struggles. Taylor was born, and he still lives in Coventry, where he studied media and English literature. He started The Waffle Shop Podcast in 2020, a show in which, and I quote, he and a wide range of guests get together to have a waffle about mental health, life's challenges and those minor inconveniences that get on our nerves. Taylor has spoken to Ed Sheeran, Sean Paul, Harley Moon Kemp and Perez Hilton on his show and it's fair to say that this podcast wouldn't exist if Taylor hadn't taken a big risk. And as you know, asking my guests about their relationship with risk is one of my favourite things and it's how I like to start every episode. More than that though, Taylor's life was turned upside down when his mum went in for routine surgery and things went wrong. And it's this moment that turned into a defining one for Taylor and gave him a whole new perspective on the life he was living and on the life he wanted to live. Now Taylor is thriving, having gained a huge following for his show and also setting up his own production company and podcast studio. He really is an inspiration. So let's talk to the man himself, Taylor. This is terribly exciting. Well, this is an absolute pleasure, isn't it? After that glorious introduction and with you having been such a gracious host when I was on the Waffle Shop podcast, it's my delight to have you on the Emma Gunn Show, Dana. This is genuinely <laughs> such a privilege <laughs> like <laughs> to go from listening to your podcast to having you on my podcast to now like, I feel like there's a real full circle moment. Oh, like because a round waffle. <laughs> yeah, well, if you like, it's great for the branded. <laughs> although i do prefer potato waffles but that they don't look quite good well i encourage you to subscribe to my other podcast waffling <laughs> i mean i could talk about different types of carbohydrates at length but so let's not start there no, i've had imitators i've had imita i have there's a there's a varied named podcast out there that have very like different variations of the waffle shop brand i don't know if it's as a compliment or not but yeah, I have <laughs> I have friends who have podcasts that have been uh, imitated, shall we say, and mm. no one finds it flattering. 
no one finds it no. a compliment. Everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? Exactly. Like this, I poured my heart into this week in, week out. You can't just take it away. <laughs> That's why I did the Emma Gunn show. I was like, copy that, no one's, suckers. Yeah, no one's seen in that. <laughs> no, can you imagine if someone did, though? It'd be quite funny. Um, I'm going to ask, I'm going to start where I always start with my guests, which is to ask you in a roundabout way before we get into specifics, but to ask you what your relationship is like with risk. And the reason why I ask my guests this is because the show is seven years old. I've recorded over 800 episodes. And when I was going through past shows recently, I realized that some of the stories that had really stuck in my mind that had really left an impact on me were the stories guests told where they had to make a decision about how to move forward, where there was a potential to lose something, there was a risk, there was a cost, but there was always or also something potentially to gain. And risk seems to be this thing that lives in the middle of all of that. So just generally, how would you say you are with risk? It's a weird one, I think, with risk with me, because I get, I have this weird feeling fear of fear or fear of failing anyway which obviously stands in the way of everything so when it comes to kind of taking those risks and you know pushing yourself out the comfort zone and you know what could go wrong and all those kind of questions like I tend to avoid it but it's going to sound really cheesy but like having these kind of conversations has taught me that well actually sometimes the biggest risk is not taking a risk at all and for me the kind of the fear of not doing something is starting to really kind of outgrow the fear of actually doing it because, you know, you, you have these kind of conversations and you don't want to get to that person or, you know, get to that age and be like, I should have done that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that person. And I was for such a huge period of my life. And yeah, it just kind of got to a stage where I kind of got tired of my own shit <laughs> and was like, you need to start taking these risks because this, this isn't, this isn't living like yeah. you're surviving. And that's when I needed to, you know, those risks, I need to take them because, well, they've, I wouldn't be sat here having this conversation with you if I, if I didn't. It's funny you say that actually, because just before we started recording, I was chatting to a friend about something and I was like, oh, I've got to make a, I've got to have a difficult conversation. And she wrote back to me and said, you should give yourself kudos on being proactive about pulling them up on this. A lot of people would just sit and shit because it was warm. Wow. And if you, the longer you, st you sit in shit, the more chance you have of not smelling it. <laughs> I wish there was, <laughs> I, I felt so confident when I started that sentence. I could feel it. Yeah. <laughs> the longer you sit in shit, the less you'll smell it. Oh gosh! Or the yeah. more you become used to the smell, there's something in that. Something. <laughs> Turn it into merch, Taylor. Turn it into That's merch. The <laughs> no, it, I think it's absolutely true, and I think fear of failure is such a. That's the you can make that the thing that becomes the cost rather than yeah. what you've got to gain, and you don't want to look silly. You don't want to look. You don't want to be embarrassed in front of people, or you don't want to give. For me, for a long for a long time, I think it was giving people ammunition, yeah. my actions, my mistakes, to then give them ammunition to then criticise me. And to, to be honest, I think this is what I love about your show and what I love about you in general, because you are so open and honest about this. And I relate to that. There was a huge period of time when I felt like I was in a spotlight that I didn't ask to be 
in. And mm. then it was like anything that I did, whether it was good, bad, it was it was all thrown at me. And then it's like that kind of element of like, okay, I need to, one, I need to change my mindset about how I'm looking at this. Mm. Because I think, and to be fair, it's really cheap. I'm going to say it. There's a Taylor Swift song, isn't there, when they're about throwing bricks and building castles. <laughs> so that I think that's, I took the risk. And instead of letting these kind of things like bruise me and batter me, mm. I kind of, I had to start building something that I was proud of and that's something that was going to, be my safety net rather than kind of allowing everything else in mm. I think Taylor would be very proud of you and I am talking about Thank Swift you. um because you said that the biggest risk you've ever taken was to trust yourself um and you you said I know that's a bit strange but I found myself in a position where I was listening to other people's opinions and taking on their guilt which I found really interesting I wasn't yeah. I really want to ask you about that and so you actually consciously made the decision to stop listening to everyone. And in this, in your case, you actually say that that shift for you resulted in you being able to save your mum's life. Yeah, which is really, do you know what's really powerful hearing those words back? Because I just got goosebumps by something that I'd written, which is really narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> but it just shows how powerful this kind of stuff is. Um but yeah, I was in a position where I nearly lost my mom to an operation that went horribly wrong. And when those kind of situations, a lot of people come like crawling out the woodworks and, you know, family members that you haven't spoken to for years. And then all of a sudden it was like, I was being told, I need to do this. I need to do this. You should do this. And it was like, I was just listening to everyone else. And it was like these people who had had a great deal to do with my mom. There was a lot of people who had hurt my mom were now showing up saying, this is what you need to do. And it it was just kind of, it just snowballed into this kind of really horrible mindset of like, <clears throat> well, I can't do that. What my mom would want. I can't do what I want because I'm going to let everyone else down. And then as it was going up and my confidence was building and, you know, I was having these horrendously difficult conversations with surgeons and doctors and physiotherapists saying like if you don't do this if you don't make this decision to kind of take a stand there's a strong chance that your mum will die and I remember sitting down there was once one day I was sat on a bench outside the hospital and I drafted this message and said I'm going to have to restrict visiting to see my mum because she was becoming too overstimulated and the brain wasn't getting enough time to kind of like recover because um, they didn't at that time, they didn't know the extent of the damage. And I sent the message with the support of like a few family members. And honestly, Emma, it was like I had shot someone. I was branded as evil. I was like blasted everywhere saying like, I've stopped people from seeing my mom. And then it was that around that time, I was just like, this isn't for you. Mm. I'm not doing this. I'm doing this because one, I need my mom. Like two, my mom needed me. Like I had, I had siblings depending on me. And I kind of look back at that situation now and kind of like, I get so annoyed at myself for allowing those opinions in. But I think if I didn't trust myself and send that message and kind of have those difficult conversations that... Yeah, I was branded as evil, if you like, but essentially I'm the one who gets to still go and see my mom 
I get to talk to her every day on FaceTime. So you can brand me as whatever you want, but the relationship I have now with my mom, um, no one can take that away from me. Like I, I did that. So it's a weird one, but if I hadn't, I've took that risk and trusted myself. Like I dread to think where all of this would have led to. There's quite a lot to unpack there because I think there's... <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, no, not not in a bad way because it's a horrible thing to have to go to. How old were you when yeah. this happened as well? So I was 27. I just turned 27. Um, and yeah, I was in the process of like saving up to move out and all mm. that kind of, you know, late 20s, like, you know, the crap that comes with <laughs> your late 20s. Um, and then it was just like, yep, nope. That that's not that's not the direction you're going in anymore. It's this yeah. we're going this way, which is and a I, lot. It's a lot, and I think it's also it's a very high stake situation. It's your mum. It's yeah. life and death, and you're being pulled from pillar to post. And I think it probably speaks to maybe. Uh, again, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but maybe when you were younger, maybe you would look for other people for advice of for what to do. And yeah. maybe for the first time in such a high stakes situation, you had to cut out the noise and ask what was right for you, which is a horrible way to learn that skill. Yeah. But it's obviously a really important skill for everybody to learn. And not everybody gets that opportunity. No, and it's, it's weird because this is where I feel like a lot of the guilt part that was pushed on me. Cause I feel like these people who, you know, I know had really upset my mom over mm. like a period of time. And, you know, if this hadn't happened, I don't think my mom would ever would have spoken to them again. And all mm. of a sudden, like I'm having that kind of guilt projected onto me to kind of change my thought process and change how, who I was as a person and what my values were. And all of my core and values and stuff like that, I learned from my mom. Like she raised me pretty much single-handedly. So everything, like I'm the man I am today because of my mom. So there was a bit of, a, quite a lot of like hypocrisy, I think, thinking like, well, actually I'm not going to do what my mom wants to do. I'm going to do what everyone else wants to do, even mm -hmm. though it was my mom's situation. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a tough one because I'd all I've ever done is do what was right for like my mom and my sister. And then all of a sudden I'm in this situation being told that I'm bad for doing that. I'm evil yeah, for doing that. Yeah. So it was like this whole lifelong kind of, well, from around like 15 years old. So you're talking like what a good, well, over 10 years worth of kind of values and all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden I was questioning everything because all of a sudden it was wrong. It was, it was honestly, I was in absolute turmoil, like looking back at it, it, mm. it was so bizarre and very very difficult to navigate yeah was it the first time you had known your own mind you had and you and you weren't getting swayed by other people was it the first time you had really learned mm. to use the word no with meaning yeah and I mean I wish it was the word no I think there was a lot of other stronger words <laughs> <laughs> um but actually yeah because it was this element of like what you're doing is wrong like I don't and I, I feel like this so much now it has taught me a lot but like I don't like you so I'm not going to listen to you like regardless of who you are like but I don't care family friends like you're not entitled to make me feel a certain way mm. this is what I believe this is what I want to do this is what I believe my mum would do like 
there, there was a huge element of trust already there between me and my mom before this happened. Mm. And it was that I think got me through. And it was that kind of trust in her, her trust in me, me trusting mm. myself that led to me finally screaming no to all of this because I didn't like what one, what it was doing to my mom two what it was making me, you know, feel and what it was doing to, you know, to my mental health mm. and three, essentially like what, it was leading to so yeah it was a very 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 powerful and strongly worded no but <laughs> I got there in the end <laughs> do you um do you think that led to a massive shift because it does seem that from that moment it's a life-changing moment for you for your mom for your family but do you think that the the changes weren't just the ones that were enforced on you but they were the ones that that period of being in such a difficult situation forced you to reflect on and you fundamentally changed how you lived it wasn't it was proactive change as well as reactive change yeah and you know this is gonna sound really powerful but I think honestly saying no saved my life because it was getting to a stage where you know with all this negativity surrounding this situation it led me to a stage where I didn't want to be here anymore and it wasn't a case of like, and I've said this a few times, but like not a case of like not wanting to be here at all, but it was just, I didn't want to continue living my life the way it was being lived. Mm. So by me taking that kind of power back and be like, no, this isn't what I want. I deserve more. It, it saved my life. That's really powerful. And I think sometimes when one does have those really dark thoughts, you it can be difficult to sort of pinpoint when they began. And yeah. I think one of the most sinister things about that kind of mental health journey is the slow decline where you can't actually see where it begins. So if you were to reflect, would you say that this was something, this decline was something that started very, very early on in childhood or can you trace it back in any way? I think there was always an element of it in in my childhood. I grew up in a very kind of, toxic households toxic kind of marriage well I wasn't in the marriage obviously but my parents were obviously in the marriage and they basically they were kids who had kids who were still kind of finding themselves and kind of navigating their 20s and all that kind of fun stuff so I think especially around my GCSEs I think I really felt the pressure mm -hmm. because I wasn't I've, it's, this sounds really bizarre but like I've always felt like I've lived two lives there's a life that I've kind of created and painted like this kind of like I can't do anything wrong like I'm yeah happy-go-lucky whereas this real kind of second part where I was supporting my mom and the family home from like 15 I I dropped out of my A-levels because I want I had to earn to keep the house going and then so it's all of these themes that I think were always there of like the pressure like well if I fail I can't provide I can't you know I'm going to be looked at a certain way as if I can't do something and then when everything happened with my mom it was like that situation but magnified like to a hundred so I think the themes of like the fear the pressure mm. the kind of I'd, I'd probably say anxiety as well of that kind of but I didn't know what that was until I was doing like these long walks down corridors into like waiting rooms or um into like ICU and stuff like that that's when I really 
really felt the impact of like the anxiety disorder like the mm-hmm. panic um and like the, obviously the physical aspects of that um but yeah to answer the question I think it has been it's been there bobbling away mm-hmm. for quite a huge period of time um but in terms of specifics I don't think I think there's been a lot of moments <laughs> yeah that have happened to get to that point of like some something's not quite right here I need to I need yeah. to address this now I was talking to someone yesterday on a podcast and just saying how if you don't address the sort of wounds as they happen which is why so many people go into therapy and then yeah take have a different lens on maybe things that happened when they were at school or in their childhood if they just if you just have the cumulative weight of those unresolved issues that weigh on you or wound you then they will they will eventually, the cumulative effect of that is, is going to show up. But it sounds like yeah. you're saying that for you from the age of 15, you almost had two personas. You had the yeah. provider persona and you had the tailor that was out in the world presenting to other people. And the way that you were presenting, you weren't letting them know that you were taking on the burden of an adult male. Yeah. And so there was this disconnect, which I guess inevitably is, a, is going to present itself as a fracture somewhere. Yeah. And it and it did quite in a to be fair, I think I think it got to a stage of a pandemic and turning 30 mm. that really made me question everything mm. and the power of kind of saying no. Like it all kind of combined itself into this real like sense of purpose to be like, well, actually, I don't have to live like that. I don't have to, you know, live my life the way everyone else is telling me that I should be living it. You know, quite a lot of my friends are like getting married, having children, buying houses and stuff. And it, I always felt like I was a failure for not being in the position to do those kind of things. Mm. Whereas actually it turned out I didn't want to do those things. (laughs) So, and it was that kind of conversation where all these people again were looking at me like, oh, well, he's not with anyone. Like, he's not, like, buying a houses. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't do that. And it's like, maybe I don't want them. I don't have to, you know, you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. I think mm. it was that where I think that's when the the fear of failure started to unpick itself. What was So uh, what's on the other side of fear for you? A lesson. Because I'm in this situation. Well, it's not a situation. It's this kind of... It's the knowledge. It's like, well, if I push past that fear and I don't like it, I've learned that I'm never going to do that thing again. Mm-hmm. If I push past something that's very scary, I've learned, well, actually, I'm capable of doing that. Like, or, you know, I've learned that I do like it. And, you know, it's just opened up this whole new world. It's changed my career it's changed my outlook on life. It's changed, like, the way I communicate, the way I build relationships, and, you know, I almost feel silly that I waited so long before I took that leap or that risk or, you know, mm. push past, you know, or out of my comfort zone. It's 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 a very safe place to be, but it's also quite a boring place to be. And it's, you know, nothing grows there. So mm. you've, you've got to mix it up every now and again. What did your comfort zone feel like, though? What was it that made it comfortable enough to not, face your fears for such a long time it was the family man persona 
it was this kind of character of like when it got to a certain age and like you know my friends and family were like oh you know what you do for like your mom and your sister like I respect it so much and then it just kept like oh I was the the safe option I was like the like always there if I needed him yet I wasn't allowing people to be there or allowing myself to kind of struggle I guess um so it just kind of kept building, building to this, like, the safe option. Mm. And it was like I was watching people who I was attracted to get with other people because I was like, oh, well, Taylor will always be there or he'll be the friend or, you know, like it, that kind of thing. And it was just like I was tired of being known for being the family man. I was tired of being the mm. friend. I was tired of, like, the same old shit. So I, I, ha- I had to do something mm. about it and I had to get out of the comfort zone. Yeah. So you're making me think, and there's another question that maybe I'll leap forward to, but you're making me think about when I was on OK, when I worked on a magazine for 10 years, because we would do weddings, engagements, bump and baby shoots, all that kind of jazz. And after 10 years, I remember somebody saying to me, how many weddings have you covered? How many engagements have you done? Blah, 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 blah. And they asked me, do you want to get married? And I was like, honest. And I didn't think too hard about my response. And I just said, oh, that's what happens to other people. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, that was just, uh, and it makes me think that that was probably what you were, where your head was. Yeah. And it just, I think it's kind of like, I think times have definitely changed now, but I don't know why it was such like a taboo subject of like, oh, well, you're not with someone. You're mm. not buying a house. You're not saving money. You're not like, you're not doing all these things purely because for a huge period of my life, like I wasn't able to save, I wasn't able to do all these kind of things. Like, I don't get me wrong, like I still did kind of like what I wanted to do. Yeah. But I guess the growing up element kind of thing was taken away because I went, all my friends had that luxury of kind of figuring out who they were, like meeting people, you know, mm-hmm. buying houses. Whereas from the age of 15, I was supporting the family. I had a home that I was essentially kind of like paying for. (laughs) And the relationship that I had with my sister, obviously I've kind of been a huge part in her upbringing from such an early age for, from birth to obviously still now, like we still live together. Mm. So I've kind of lived my life backwards (laughs) compared to everyone else. So now everyone's like moaning about their husband or their wife or (laughs) like the cost of living. Like I'm in this really kind of unique position where actually like, well, I've kind of done all that. Like, so now life for me is for living. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I have got this kind of second wind to be like, well, bring anything on now because I've kind of, I've been through the biggest possible storm that I've been through Yeah. and I've come through the other side of it better mm. than what I went into it with yeah so oh, that's actually quite a th- um that made me a little bit emotional then saying that out loud you can be emotional <laughs> that got me but yeah right. I think definitely I think I, I'm definitely a better man from going through the song than what I was at the start of it there you go that's a really powerful thing to be able to say it and believe it <laughs> and like own it ah. not just <laughs> yeah. to well, if we were in the same room together, I'd give you a big old hug. Thank you. But I, I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit because when you're talking about relationships and whatever, one of the things that I asked you about before the show was about your biggest regret. And you said not exploring your sexuality sooner. It took you to turn, yeah. it took you turning 30, a pandemic and waffle to allow yourself to actually really be yourself, which I can really relate to. 
And you said, now that I've said that, that sounds really weird, but I feel like <laughs> I could have saved myself a lot of time. I never struggled with my sexuality, but I really regret not exploring it earlier in my life. And I was really curious about that response because I was like, was this about knowing what your sexuality was or was it about actually being comfortable being a sexual person? Joe, you know I think it's a mixture of both okay. with that because I was so kind of conditioned, if you like, to be the family man. Like, you know, when you think of family, you think, you know, man, wife, dog, kids, white picket fence, you know, that old kind of boring mm -hmm. view of like what family should be. Um, but I also watched my mom and dad's marriage break down. I also watched, you know, very toxic relationships happening all around me. And it just honestly just got to a stage where I was like, I don't want that. <laughs> mm. I don't want to live like that because, you know, they they can't be happy. Um, so then when it kind of got to a stage where like there was a few like thoughts and stuff that I thought, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I am attracted to the opposite sex. No, the same sex. Sorry, so I'm still learning this. That <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe there is something there, but I would never act upon it again mm. because of what people might think or but it wasn't like a struggle because I was dealing with everything else at the time. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, when it came to kind of having the podcast and this kind of element of saying, no, I'm not going to live my life the way you want me to live my life. I'm going to live it how I want to having conversations, seeing how open people were being about their sexuality and exploring and stuff like this. And I thought, well, do you know what? I'm at a stage now where, fuck it see what happens i'm gonna i'm gonna dip the toe in that kind of scene and i'm very very fortunate that i did and i found someone incredible um and i just genuinely think now like you know and, and when i kind of started speaking about it i realized that how much no one actually cares <laughs> <laughs> And it was like, there was a side of me that was actually like a really, a little bit disappointed <laughs> because I was like, oh, okay. I thought I was going to be like this big kind of moment kind of thing that I'd kind this of built up when, yeah. yeah. This is huge no. for me. It needs to be huge <laughs> yeah, for no you. No one cares. No one cared. Um, I, I think it's really it all interesting. felt really natural. Yeah, I think, and I think that's wonderful. And I think it's really interesting because when you wrote the response, I was like, I don't know it's almost a little bit vague and I wasn't entirely mm. sure whether it was deliberately so, but actually it's almost as though because of the environment you grew up in, you just switched off that, you just switched it yeah. off, that sort of thing of wanting to get into a relationship with a partner, whoever that partner might have been. It was just, well, from what I've seen of the world, that doesn't work <laughs> out. So I'm just going to switch that I off like and it. use <laughs> and, and divert the energy elsewhere. And actually it's a huge thing when you do that. And I can relate to this because I have done something similar because of how I feel about my, my body image because of all of the things that yeah. I've had sort of growing up and being the fat teenager at school. And anytime I was around boys who I was attracted yeah. to, you'd get rejected because you were the fat one. So part of me for my own mental safety, just switched that off and was yeah. like, well, if every time I show an interest in, someone I'm attracted to, he rejects me. And the reason for that rejection is because of the size of my ass, then it's less painful to turn that off rather than keep trying. 
Yeah, no, it's it's, it's the, honestly, I don't know why we think like this. It's so, <laughs> <laughs> but I think and you know when you're when you are that age and you are navigating all those kind of insecurities and you know those you know that mindset of mm. growing up and you know the the pain of growing up, like it's it's a difficult difficult kind of storm to weather. Mm. But it's 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 a mixed bag because it's you know I used to it's because I raised kind of like my younger sister and I was constantly around my mom and like my nan I was like my lab mates were having these kind of conversations and honestly I look back now thinking he's a vile like <laughs> not like you know like derogatory or anything like that but you know like those kind of conversations when it comes to like sex and stuff like that I'm just like I don't want to be a part of this so it has talked <laughs> has talked a bloody waffle for me to get to a stage where I actually feel comfortable talking about like sex and you know exploring the body and this that and the other like it's it is bizarre but I think everyone's on their own kind of path when it comes to that and I don't think there is like a a final destination when it comes to it. I think everyone should just go for it like you don't know unless you try well exactly and that that's a common theme in all of your responses is there are things I've wanted to do for a long time and I didn't do them and I now will not, because one of the questions is, what 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 excuses do you make for yourself? And you're like, well, I used to make all the excuses, and now I refuse to, which is which yeah, is no. so empowering. <laughs> the the biggest, and you said because normally people say, oh, my biggest excuse is that I um I always have a penguin after my dinner or something, you know, something silly, but not <laughs> silly, but yours was just really honest you were like my biggest excuse is I have an awful habit of standing in my own way and listening to the negative voice in my head that's telling me it's all going to go wrong, and this goes back to what you were talking about about having a fear of failure and so I guess you don't make excuses anymore do you no and who doesn't love a penguin after dinner <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't really an excuse it was just kind of I don't know. oh it's I was like gonna time... say I was gonna listen back to that no, it's like <laughs> timekeeping or what's the biggest excuse like I don't have enough time or something like that but I think to actually yeah. just say oh me me I'm the way yeah. Universally, I'm it's the me. problem. Yeah, I'm the problem. It's <laughs> me. Problem. Oh my God, another Taylor Swift. <laughs> quote. Taylor, you can have that. <laughs> it, is, it is it is a powerful position to be in because I think from going through what I did with my mom and the pandemic, it really taught me the value of time. Mm. And looking back at certain situations, friendship groups, jobs, this and the other, like I was just doing it because I was just coasting. I was doing it because I thought I had to. I wasn't in a position where I wanted to challenge myself because oh, it might go wrong. Whereas mm. now I'm like, well, if I hadn't, I've gone through what I did with my mental health, I wouldn't have started a podcast. If I didn't start the podcast, I wouldn't start having conversations and exploring who I was. I wouldn't be sat here having this conversation. I wouldn't have met my partner. So it's all these things that if I had stayed in my comfort zone, if I had kind of stood in my own way, I'd be absolutely miserable like because I look back then and like I talk about being happy a lot and like oh like I don't know how to be happy and so like, I do know how to be happy it's just sometimes I don't allow myself to be happy that's the change mm. there because we're in a lot more control than what we actually think we are we just need to kind of get out of our own way that's really powerful to be able to say um I can be happy but I'm the one who's not allowing it because it's very easy to blame others. I love it's this very show easy so to much. blame others. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I think all of it comes with thank you. That's really nice of you to say. But I think all of I think to, to be able to stop looking for something else that's the problem and to be able yeah. to 
look yourself in the eye and be like, oh man, it's me. Yeah. I'm the dickhead. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? I pretty much say that every day in the mirror when I'm holding my penguin. And be like, <laughs> you laughed at that joke again. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's I... tired of the excuses. It's, you know, we the whole situation is for me. Like we're here once, we get one shot at this mm-hmm. and, you know, we deserve to do it with a smile on our face. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So talk to me about what would happen if someone got in your way. You've finally removed yourself as an obstacle between you and what you want in life. What happens if someone tells you no or gets in your way or somehow obstructs the place that you want to get to? I would laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is, I think, I would, I think I'm in a position now where, which is quite, a powerful position to be in where I feel like I'm quite emotionally intelligent. Like, you know, the no sometimes needs to be a no. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes when, you know, those kind of obstacles, sometimes as much as I have the time, see like the worst thing in the world are actually kind of guiding you to where you need to be. Like I, I think I mentioned it in the kind of, in the question, like uh, during the pandemic, I very nearly moved to New York to host and produce a podcast for a top psychiatrist. I know, and I which thought, is just incredible. Batshit crazy. Batshit. And it's, <laughs> I look back at it now, I'm like, did that actually happen? Not <laughs> you with a Ted, Ted Lasso thing. <laughs> That's that whole period of time. Like, who goes into a pandemic and tries to move to New York? I had like an office off Wall Street and all this kind of all sounds really incredible and I was like I had to have a heartbreaking goodbye to my mom like she's she's now in a neurological care home thinking this is it I might not get to see my mom again like I left my family behind got to the airport and they were like no sir you're not getting on that plane because of the restrictions and like I think at the time if you'd been in the UK for more than two weeks you weren't able to to travel and then if they you've been tried in the to UK for more than two weeks. Two weeks at that time, that's what the restrictions were. It was quite early on, like when they first mm-hmm. opened, like the travel and stuff. Or I think it was like if you have family over there, you're able to travel, kind of thing. Oh, I see. Um, but it was very, very tight. Okay. Yeah. But then they tried to send me to Mexico for two weeks, which sounds great, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving my whole family behind <laughs> to go to Mexico for two weeks to go meet. 
and work with a bunch of strangers who I've never met other than over Zoom. <laughs> Sounds like all a, a bit, great reality yeah. TV show. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, but then at the time, the no was very much like, I felt like a little bit embarrassed. But then afterwards, I was like, and this was happened in a matter of like hours. So it was like, I feel like the intelligence part was like quite switched on. Because mm-hmm. I got back from Heathrow and I went to Asda. I did my weekly <laughs> shot as if I would normally. And then I just carried on recording this podcast with the the team in America. And then over time, like, again, the power of no was like, actually, do you know what? This was a huge opportunity, but I've actually learned that I'm capable of making these big risks. I'm capable of making these moves. So as much as at the time I was in back, I mean, I was in the paper for God's sake, it's like <laughs> local podcasts that moving to New York. Oh, not local <laughs> podcast gets turned no. away from Heathrow. <laughs> no, that bit didn't get published. <laughs> that was like in the obituaries bit next to my career. <laughs> at that point. Well, no, it wasn't. That's um, the thing. That's a really, that's a really good way to look at it is to be able to say, do you know what? Because you put that on paper, starts working with a top psychologist. You start your podcast and it gets their interest. And yeah. I was reading something this morning on BBC about how there was such a boom in podcasts. But I think over 25% of all of the podcasts ever published have fewer than 10 episodes because yeah. people lose interest. So you're one of the ones who kept going. You get the interest of this top psychologist who says, hey, come and work with me in manhattan yeah and for, to get a no for that i i would imagine that the first response would be you've just taken my golden ticket away you that was my dream on the other yeah. side of that flight my existed my dream yeah and you've taken that away from me and it sounds like it didn't take that long for you to realize your dream didn't lie no on the east coast it wasn't my dream it wasn't my dream it wasn't my it wasn't meant to be and then it was like a few days later, like I got a call asking if I wanted to do a recording with Scarlett Moffat. If I was <laughs> on a different time zone, I might not have been able to, do, I wouldn't have, I didn't have any of like, yeah. I had the studio over there, go, like, but I didn't have any of like my logos or anything like that. Yeah. And for those I who don't got... know, Scarlett Moffat is, uh, she rose to fame on Gogglebox, which I know is huge yes. in the States as well, yeah. but she's. I mean, by all accounts, it's like the loveliest, most down-to-earth, just funnest woman. Absolute diamond. Recorded this really wholesome episode. And, you know, there's been certain opportunities, like, afterwards that I've, like, if I, you know, and the thing is that, especially in lockdown, and with that first trip out with my mom, Mm. like, I I wouldn't have been here. I would have missed that because I would have been in New York. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff that I think it really highlighted what means more to me rather than you know again what sounded great you know Mm. it looked good but I don't think it would have made me feel good Mm. so I think that's that's a huge part of that tell me just because people now be curious about that conversation so I'll put the link in the show notes to Scarlett's episode but so it's the Waffle Shop podcast yeah now I've done it but for the benefits of listeners would you just describe it and also what was the genesis of it yeah, no, I'd love this question because I get <laughs> such a huge sense of pride because I'm, I'm I'm still baffled that people want to talk to me. <laughs> so the fact is, like, Don't these be quite big, like, influential people, like some of my favourite people, it's, it's, incre- you get it's crazy. You incredible guests and I'm <laughs> very jealous. 
this is why you need to get out of your comfort zone everyone because it's this kind of stuff can happen from mm. real painful experiences mm. um but yeah it was as you can tell like I love to talk obviously in the UK people like always oh, a waffler like it's like a bit of kind of slang for someone who talks too much mm. and the shop part is obviously that's where you go to get your necessities it's you get what you need from it so mm. the name kind of formed kind of by accident and then it's just a place where people can come have a real open and honest conversation about you know their journey their coping mechanisms their minor inconveniences because there's a huge thing of like it's the little things that really wind us up mm-hmm. that tend to make us explode about the bigger things so yeah. i feel like with the podcast i try and capture those like minor moments before they escalate but then i'm also as you know like a huge music fan mm. like music has been the one consistent thing in my life from but well, it still is and i'm a huge believer in people having a soundtrack to their journey so it's a mixture of kind of people being open honest about their kind of struggles their journeys you know what they do to like cope when the shit hits the fan and the songs that kind of soundtrack those moments and it's because that, that that's what it's, it's taught me who I am it's by just by having those conversations mm. you know it's taught me different coping mechanisms I, don't, I never would have started journaling if someone hadn't have mentioned it on the show so it's all these kind of little things that it slowly became like my toolkit yeah. to like build a better future for myself and yeah I, I absolutely love it I'd be lost without it. and it taught me that um, it's okay to use my voice Mm-hmm. which I was scared to do for such a huge period of my life yeah so I love it what, why were you scared to use your voice why were you scared to say what you wanted or what you needed I think I think it goes back to a lot of being a kid and like if I said the wrong thing like I'd be looked at a certain way and then especially when I went through everything with my mom it was like if I stepped a toe out of line it was like you've done this you've done this you've done this and I just kind of sat down, recorded that first episode on my headphones, didn't think anything of it because I, like, everything was always like, how's your mom? How's your Like, you know, that kind of thing. And it was never like, how's Taylor, which sounds really childish, but obviously I put all my emotions and everything on the back burner because yeah. I had to focus on my mom and my sister. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I sat down and just spoke about my emotions, how I was feeling. And... Oh, I'm so goddamn grateful that I did because it's completely changed my life for the better. I think there's something very um, powerful. I think this is probably why you enjoy journaling so much, but there's something really powerful about the thoughts in your head beginning to make sense and being able to define what you feel and why you feel something. And then there's another layer of self-realization that happens or self-actualization that happens if you say it out loud. Yeah. And then that's magnified <laughs> if you're doing it on something that you are publishing for the world to hear. So it can be, I didn't fully, uh, like it took me a long time to speak openly about perhaps struggling with food. Yeah. And once you do on a podcast, for example, you make it real. Yeah. And it's it's a difficult thing to take back, and so I think it make I think it does something where you you have a 
if you publish it, you probably have the real courage of your convictions. You really yeah. believe it. And I think you do what I try to do, which is you only share it when you once you believe it can be helpful to someone who needs to hear it rather than yeah. just saying it for saying its sake. Yeah. To be fair, and it's very similar. There's a lot of kind of, and obviously I know we've had very different what's up. And there's a lot, especially when we had the chat, like on the, like on my show. And even now, like the kind of sense of, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of kind of heart in what we do. And it's because I don't think we realize as much as it's obviously helping a lot of other people. I think it's safe to say like without your podcasts, you know, it, it I think it's massively shaped kind of what happens next for Emma. Like if, you know, taking that, like the risk to leave like okay magazine to then mm. like start the show and stuff. Like it's a very vulnerable, but powerful position to be in yeah yeah oh gosh look at us we, that could go yeah. we'll have to do that over lunch yeah. Yeah. um <laughs> I, one, one thing I did love is that you I ask everyone to talk to me about their greatest successes and you were like oh, I feel like I feel really self-indulgent but I've got three and you've already talked about waffle the waffle shop podcast which is obviously one of them um because you said it ripped you out of your comfort zone and you're really grateful that it did because it's changed your life in ways that you just couldn't have imagined and I think we've definitely spoken about that and about how speaking to people about their experiences and also being open about your own has really given you purpose. But I didn't know this. I, I knew that obviously your mom had had this operation that had gone wrong and then it had left her needing care and she's now in yeah. this neurological care unit or home. Yes, yeah, yeah. But I didn't realise you had taught her to speak again. Yeah, this is... <laughs> um. I don't talk about this a lot because it makes me feel a little bit uneasy, mm. but like in a good way, because I do feel very proud of this. Like, especially at the time of all I wanted was my mom. Like all I wanted was like, you're doing okay. Like it's going to be okay. And I couldn't have that. So everything happened in the May. And there was days when I was spending like 12 hours by her side, like with no response. Like there was, there was, you know nothing there they were going to turn the life support machine off and if it wasn't for my sister going through her GCSEs at the time and me practically begging the surgeon to be like can we just keep it on until my sister gets through her GCSEs I actually had to give him like the date and time of her last exam and then they were like this is it um so it gave my mom an extra like I think it was like six days on life support and when they eventually turned it off, she started breathing by herself. So that's when it really started to change. Like these, you know, then it was like, okay, brain injury, brain damage. We don't know the extent of it. And slowly but surely she started to pick up. She started to respond with her eyes and like very, very slight hand movements. But the biggest thing for me was like, I just need to hear my mom's voice. So probably over a period of like two months, I was playing music. I was by her side, like reading, like talking to her. Um, <laughs> um, and we had this real horrible like alphabet chart. And I was like, oh, if you blink twice, like on this line, that's what the letter will begin with. And I was going through like this, like endlessly. Um, and it got to a, a day when... We were just talking about something and her first word was actually no. 
because I asked her a question and I still to this day I I can't um I can't describe the feeling because I was very much just like have I just imagined that mm. like that was real and then I was like oh that's not good is it and then she said it again no and I felt really bad to be fair because she had this little tiny nurse <laughs> and I remember just grabbing her <laughs> and just spinning around and just being like you heard that like you heard her speak as well and then I just looked over and she had like this little smirk on her face and I was just like like you're back like I've I've got something and then to go from that point especially being branded as evil for stopping all these people from seeing her to allow her to recover to now like being on a you know daily face I mean she's she's FaceTiming whilst I've been on this (laughs) (laughs) So, so it's like to go from that moment of like desperation of like from both sides I guess because I, I can't imagine how frustrated she is on a daily basis to get to that point like mm. that to me and no one be able to take that away from me because I didn't trust myself if I didn't persevere if I wasn't consistent if I didn't have that trust in my relationship with my mom with myself I don't know if we would have got to that point mm. so that to me it will forever be my proudest moment what music did you use to play to her? Because you're such a oh, music God. fan. Um, so Stone Roses, Waterfall. There's a line in it that's she'll carry on through it all. She's a waterfall. So that has been kind of the soundtrack to this, this whole journey. Because mm. to watch the most active 47-year-old, like she used to be up at six o'clock in the morning, like hoovering her astroturf, honestly. <laughs> it, and she's a weirdest woman but I wouldn't change it for the world um <laughs> to now go to that level of care and mm. you know and to still do it with such conviction and determination and still have that kind of fuck it attitude like she's the backbone and driving force behind everything that I do because I've seen the worst I've seen what can happen mm. and I don't ever want to get to that stage where I might need that level of care and wish I did something. Mm. So I think like it kind of all makes sense now I'm kind of saying it out loud, but it's been quite a journey. <laughs> yeah. And it's not over yet. It's not over yet. And I guess a big part of this that we haven't spoken about really is your sister and how you did. You you you've yeah. been dad for a while, but then when um when your mum was ill, you you took over completely. You were well, I don't know, were you a guardian? Did you become a legal guardian or how did no, that work? So, so because she was, I think it was, she just turned 16 when everything oh, right. happened. Um, so yeah, just started the GCSEs. And I still remember, and it's stuff like this that really sticks with me, but there was this one woman, a supposedly like friend of my mom's. And I just remember saying like, she shouldn't be living with you. Like she needs to be in a proper stable family home, this and that. And it's really stuck with me because then a few weeks later like I bought a tickets to Reading festival just because we needed a break and so it was just the two of us that were going but it's the same day that the GCSE results come out um I think it's GCSE yeah GCSE no it, it's GCSE results yeah um so that that same weekend and I remember her getting in the car on the way and she opened the results and she was like oh I've done all right 
bearing in mind we just had we're in yeah. this real I was like oh like sigh of relief like she's done okay and then she started to reel off these results and it was like a a b b b and I was like even now like I just feel like every single person that doubted the pair of us like I don't know but I feel like there was a huge sense of people wanting us to fail and I know there are only letters on a page but like all that hard work that she did like she she got to that point um it was just a massive middle finger and I look at especially like the opportunities and the relationship we have now and you know I get to live with my best friends like there's there's moments we want to kill each other but also like the amount of love (laughs) that I have for her like and to be fair I don't think I would have reached out and got the help I needed if it wasn't for her so I have a lot to be grateful for like we're I think that I don't think there's a lot that we wouldn't be able to achieve did you reach out for help because you knew that she needed you or because she encouraged you to get help when you said I thought the first way I Mm. thought I can't leave the situation I can't take myself out of the situation because Mm. people need me that wasn't the case it was you need to get help because you need help for Mm. you and she made me see that like she's been the like the most supportive remarkable young woman I could she's like my biggest cheerleader and to have that you know in a sister in a friend like it's, it's incredible like I'd be lost without and it's there, there are moments when you know things do get on top of me or like things get a bit much and she's just that kind of little reminder of just like how far we've come and mm. the reason why I'm doing this like it all sounds great with the guests the numbers whatever it might be but like this is the first time in my life I've done something purely for me yeah. and look at the impact. And I don't think I would have got to that point if it, was, it wasn't for my mom, my sister and bloody waffle. <laughs> so how, how, how is it then if when you look at your feed and you've had, was it Ed Sheeran's come on the show? <laughs> Bill who's, who's great <laughs> friends with Taylor Swift, by the way. True. Very true. Very, it still works just... like that one. Yeah, please, please keep me involved keep me in the loop so how is it when you you build this thing you've gone through all of these challenges and then it feels it sounds like um it was you against the world you and your sister and your mom like basically against the world lots of people yeah sounds like people didn't necessarily want you to come out of it well or were sort of poised watching waiting for you to fail yeah. and then you start doing stuff like this and so outwardly people are like hang on a minute because was it obvious that you were going to start speaking to Grammy winning music people on your podcast? Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem as though it was necessarily the obvious thing <laughs> when you started. I'm going to talk about my, oh, and yeah, and it's going to be these huge people. Yeah, not at all. Like I needed an outlet because I started having therapy and then I had four sessions and the pandemic hit. So mm. it was either, right, I, when that risk of going backwards that like scared little boy like of not knowing what or I need I keep talking and I honestly thought I'd do about four episodes and I'm like oh you know start a podcast in lockdown <laughs> like everyone else in the- <laughs> and I'd get bored and I could be on something else but then what started to happen was I started to learn I started to see the impact it was actually having not mm. only on my mental health but like my life my physical health like the way I viewed the world and my confidence started to build. And it was just like all these fears of like what could go wrong were changing into well, what could go right. 
start sending these messages, start sending this email, see what happens. Mm. And what's the worst that they can happen? They say no. That's it. It's, it's that's, you move on. You're on mm. to the next one. You know, it clearly wasn't meant to be. So do you take it's... do you take one no or are you like, are you sure? Is a no a no or do you try and do you leave a it no... for a bit and then say <laughs> I know it was a no six months ago, but can <laughs> it be a yes now? <laughs> yeah. Um, you spelt yes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> True story. I once contacted Oprah's people and said, I'm going to be asking you a lot over the next few years if Oprah will do my podcast. So could we get my first no out of the way? And they actually responded <laughs> and they said they liked that email. <laughs> but this Still is what I mean. Up. Like if you don't ask though, you don't get and I think you do need to be consistent with it. Mm. Um but sometimes a no is a no but I'd rather than no I don't want a maybe don't give me a maybe because then I will send three emails a day and turn up at your house um I don't <laughs> joking I wait please call me back Ed someone said to me the other day um no is way better than no reply yeah because they've took the time out of their mm. day to look at what you do they've viewed the email they've considered it that I'd, I'd like a no and I think it's quite empowering. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, thank you. You've took the time. But there, there's but, been a lot of that. There's probably been more no's than there has been yeses. But, you know, oh, there you has take, to be. You take, yeah, like it's it's life. Yeah, um, that, but I'm, I'm very grateful because be. that one yes completely kind of wipes out those like 50 no's that I had. What's the what's the yes that came back when you were like, oh, oh, God. Um, right. OK, then. John Paul. It was Sean um, Paul. Like, I have grown up listening to his music. Like, I've got so many incredible music, like, memories because of his songs. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Then to be in a position where, like, I'm sat, like, having a conversation with him. And then even on the call, I was like, can we make a song? And then it was like, yeah. He then, he started rapping. He, he changed a few of his lyrics around. So technically, I can say I have a song with Sean Paul. And afterwards, like, I, th I think it was like last year, my sister was moving to Milan for a while. And um, a few days before he was, um, she was traveling to leave, Sean Paul was playing a gig. So again, I'd sort send an email, see what happens. Me and my sister then got to go and see Sean Paul. Just for, it's, and I, I, I can't speak about it enough. Like the fact that you just, you try, the, just try, push past that little bit of fear because now I look at life and like it is batshit crazy, but I'm doing it all with a smile on my face because I'm just like, yeah, you know, the negative, the, the positive massively outweighs the negative for me now. It's that flip, isn't it? Of like life living you, you're living life. And yeah. I think, I think that what you talked about earlier and I, I've definitely sort of had this conversation with me and also with friends and the idea of like, this is how your life should look. You should yeah. go to school. You should go to university. You should get a job. You should get married. You should buy a house. Like there's a there is a path, whether you realize it or not, that has sort of been set up as an ideal. Yeah. And actually, that's almost like if you want it, absolutely great. But you could say that's life sort of steering you, not you yeah. steering life. And so for, for me, for someone who never really got on board with that. I sort of think I spent a long time thinking I was wrong or bad or was doing making the wrong decisions as opposed to reframing it and thinking, actually, it's because I want to do something different and make. Yeah, you want different. You don't yeah. want the same as everyone else. There's a song. I think it's a Groove Armada song. And it's like, if everybody looked the same, we'd get tired of looking at each other. 
Yes. And she thinks of Instagram filters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? Because it's just like if you had what everyone else had, like you then you'd look at that like, well, everyone has this now. I want the next thing. Yeah. It's like you need to take a lot like a I don't know, it all sounds quite I don't know, preachy, I guess. Because it's not easy to get to that point. But the sooner I got to that point, like I'd like the life really began for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you could share, and obviously you don't ever have to whittle it down to one tiny little golden nugget, but because you have a podcast and the link to that podcast will be in the show notes. But if you had to whittle down your best piece of advice for someone, it's the thing that you put on a billboard or it's the the thing that you put on, I don't know, a business card. What's the thing that you would, the saying or advice that you would give to everybody because you believe that it could be helpful? to absolutely the, anyone, universally just helpful. The biggest bit of advice I would give to anyone is that you can do absolutely anything. The only thing you can't do is give up. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I love that. Was that, that a dance? What was that? <laughs> it was just kind of like, I don't know, I was I was ascending. I was just kind of having a real spiritual moment and just like, just wanting to really let that one sit because that's so... It yeah. sounds so benign, but actually if you are in your own way or you are struggling or you are somebody who puts all these things between you and what you want, not real things necessarily, just thoughts and yeah. feelings, you don't realize how hard they are to unpick and actually how wonderfully freeing it can be to hear something like that from someone who's doing so well and who's just on an absolutely incredible tra- trajectory and is doing great things. So thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for doing the show. Please let everyone know where they can find you on social media. It's at Waffle Shop Podcast. You're always up for a waffle. So yeah, check it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, honestly, Emma, this has been an absolute dream. Like I've Aww. loved every minute of it. Um, you're an absolute diamond. So Aww. thank you for the opportunity to back the at show. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 